You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. I feel like I need to finish up where I left off last night. And I preached a message on when a nation forgets God. And I preached another message last night on when a nation changes gods. And I, I do believe we have done that as a nation. Most of us here think about America as a Christian nation because we're thinking back on the reference of how we grew up and what we saw. And I remember the old black and white TV in our home where most of the shows were semi-wholesome, Leave it to Beaver and, you know, Bonanza and even... Even when Hoss, you know, beat somebody up, said, I hate to do this to you, little fella, and he'd give him a whip, and then he'd, then he'd pick him up and, you know, be nice to him, buy him breakfast down in Virginia City. It, it was a different world. Now they double-tap somebody in the head and walk away, and it's in living color, and you see things that we shouldn't even see. We've changed as a society, and we've turned, in, by and large, towards paganism and rejected the Lord. But I don't want to leave us on that note. Uh, as you, I think you can tell, I'm compelled by it. I'm concerned about it. And, and I want to shout that from the housetops. But tonight I want to end this meeting with a time of considering of not when a nation forgets God or not when a nation changes God's, but I want to speak tonight on the subject of when a nation returns to God. Because you and I can still return to the God of our fathers. He said, what will happen nationally? I don't know, but I know, I do know what will happen in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. I know what will happen in this community and in your family and in your home when you and I return to the one true living God. Turn in your Bibles, please, the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea in chapter 10. And we'll stand together for the reading of the word of God. And I, I've been very moved by young people in the last few months. I get to preach to teenagers fairly often, especially for a guy my age. I'm not young. Uh, I remember Pastor Coburnett. I remember him as a maybe even a senior in high school coming to the tournaments at Brother Brown's. And I saw him and Miss Joanna and certainly their siblings. He may, might have come as a youth pastor, but he's a young guy. I'm pretty sure I met him before he even went to college out of Geneseo, Illinois. And I knew his dad, wonderful man of God. And I know a lot of his family. I know Joel and the other ones and uh, his sister and some others and gotten to know him. And I used to watch a group of young people that would come to meetings where we would have with uh, preachers and come in and uh, Pastor Brown would have us in. We'd come in and preach. And I remember those kids hitting the altars, getting right, responding to the word of God, getting their Bible signed, you know, fired up about the things of God. And for a while, I didn't see much of that. But in the last year, for some reason, I'm seeing more of that than I had in a while. Could it be that God is going to give us a little reviving before the coming of Christ? Could it be that God will 
gather in just one last batch of lost people before Jesus comes. I know that I'm looking into the face of the generation of people that will see the rapture of the church. I still believe in the rapture of the church. Pre-tribulation, I'm so pre, I don't even eat post-toasties, amen? But I mean, and I believe Jesus is going to come before the tribulation period. You can go through all that all you want, friends, but I'm going out first load. Say amen to that. I'm going out. And I believe that. I've studied that issue very thoroughly. I study Bible prophecy all the time. I'm fairly uh, obsessed with what's going on in the Middle East with Russia, Iran, with uh, what's happening around Israel. And I see what's going on as Israel is literally surrounded by uh, the radical jihad on all fronts, north, south, east, well, east, and of course the west is the Mediterranean Sea. But all the way around the nation of Israel, you have the Houthis in Yemen, you have Islamic jihad in Jordan, you have uh, Hamas uh, over in the Gaza Strip, you have uh, Hezbollah to the north. Right now, tonight, there are more than, listen carefully, more than 150,000 rockets are trained all around the borders directly at Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. 150,000 rockets. Iran has just produced the longest ranged uh, drone ever made. It can fly 24 hours straight. It can fly all the way to Israel and back. And they have stated their goal that they are going to destroy the Jewish state and wipe Israel off the map. That's their goal. But I've got news for you. When they come down from the north and when the Russian bear joins in with Syria and Iran and Persia and Sudan and Libya and Turkey... And when those nations from Ezekiel 38 make their way down to the mountains of the north, God said there's been a shaking like there's never been before, even so much so that the fish will shake. I mean, it's going to go all the way down to the, to the sea and over to the Sea of Galilee, and it's all going to happen. And at that moment, God is going to show himself strong. It's all going to happen. And it's happening before our very eyes. And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing in these days, these last days that you and I live in? How many believe we're in the last days? Uh, we're in the last minutes of the last days. And these last days in which we live, would it be a wonderful thing if God would find churches like this returning, seeking, calling upon God with our lives? Hosea chapter 10, please. Hosea chapter number 10. And we'll read from Hosea chapter 10. Um, that's not Hosea. That's Jeremiah. You don't want to hear from Jeremiah. Hosea chapter 10. I'm going to read one verse from there. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Chapter 14, the book of Hosea. Chapter number 14, please. 
Verse number one. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord, saying to him, take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, so will he render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods, for in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. Verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. Verse 7, they that dwell under his shadow shall what? Return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Return unto the Lord thy God. I want to speak on the subject when a nation returns. Is it too late for America? No. Is it too late for the nations of the world? No. When we see this babbling shell of a president who is clearly, clearly controlled by outside forces, do I have an amen? amen. Can't even answer a question without, huh? And what do you say? Uh, what should I say, Je Michelle? I mean, Jill? He didn't even know his wife's name. And he doesn't know where he is. And as we look at how far our nation has gone, and as we see this absolute recession he has taken us into, how many of you have had inflation in your home? I mean, he stood up before all the world, before America and before God, and so we're not having an inflation problem. We are at Rossi's house, and, and most of us are. And the nation that's turned away from God, is it still too late? Absolutely not. As long as there's a God still in heaven, and there is. As long as his promises are still true, and they are, you and I can still have revival when a nation returns to God. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. Pray your blessing to reside upon us. Thank you for all that you'll do. Thank you for this good week. Thank you for this wonderful church. I thank you for uh, pastor and his staff and just for all the good folks that are here. Pray your blessing on them. Bless Miss Joanna. She'll make her way back. Uh, bless her trip. Uh, I'm so thankful she got to see her family and her dad and to see the church there in, in Iowa. We pray your hand upon us tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said together. Amen. You may be seated. Our text tonight is a great chapter that we find in the book of Hosea. I love his name. The name Hosea means salvation. So every time he said his name, and salvation. Uh, hey, how are you doing? What's your name? Salvation. So in other words, it would be like somebody said, what's your name? Saved. Amen. And, uh, my name's Lou Rossi. Saved by the grace of God. So uh, he was a man that was clearly saved and a man whom uh, his very name uh, spoke of salvation to the people of God. Hosea is likely from the northern kingdom. There's not much known about him, but he's almost certainly from the northern kingdom. His reference to some of the topography and other things would lend to the fact that he was from 
from the northern area of Israel, probably somewhere outside of Samaria and that part of the world. And he was speaking to a divided kingdom. Some of you already know that two tribes were down in the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, and the ten tribes were up in the northern kingdom in Samaria. Samaria turned to idolatry long before the Israelites or the, the people of Judah did, but uh, at the time of this man's writing, even though they had turned from God, uh, the nation of Samaria was living in a very uh, prosperous time. Things were doing well. Uh, money was flowing freely. They had food. They had industry and all those things happening during his prophecy, he prophesied somewhere between 755 down to 710 BC. And during this time of prosperity, there was a problem. Though it looked good on the outside, morally and spiritually, the entire nation was in decline. They had turned their backs on God. They had given themselves up north, primarily whenever uh, Baal and Baalism invaded the kingdom of Samaria and the kingdom of Israel in the northern kingdom. Uh, it never uh, was relinquished. And of course, Ahab and Jezebel brought it in. Others embellished it. Uh, they made temples and groves for Baal and these other false pagan idols and gave themselves to them. This man of God begins to prophesy and he prophesied during the reign of four different kings down in the southern kingdom to Judah. He mentioned some things to Judah but his primary, pro primary prophecy was to the people of Samaria. He begins chapter number 10, and if I start expounding too much of this, I'm going to go back towards depression because uh, it, it just is there. It's there all the time throughout the Bible. If we preach the Bible properly, I can tell you this, we're not going to have an evening with Joel and a big cheesy grin and talk about how good you are and how you can have your best life now. I'm not going to get a curly perm and learn how to bat my eyelashes. That's not going to happen. Say amen. But I mean, uh, but there is a tendency to, to lean toward that. All of us like good news. All of us like once in a while to come up for air. Do I have an amen? My wife will remind me sometimes, honey, uh, now and then it's okay to say something like, I'm glad I'm saved and God is good and not always have to prophesy and cut everything down. So I said, I agree with that. But uh, there was some great, some very bad news earlier on in chapter 10. I have a friend who's a pastor and he called me, he said, man, my church, I've been preaching hard lately, brother. And he said, uh, tonight, we're going to come up for air a little bit. I'm going to preach from Psalm 23, try to encourage some folks. And I said, that's great, man. Uh, have a great time. I'll pray for you. He called me on Monday. I said, how'd it go? He said, I preached for an hour on the valley of the shadow of death. And uh, so I'll, I'll try, to, try not to do that to you tonight. But anyway, in, in chapter 10, he begins with verse 1. And he says, Israel's an empty vine. He spoke to them about their fruitlessness. They brought forth fruit unto themselves. According to the fruit, he hath increased the altars. He was speaking about their fruitless lives. Verse 2, he deals with their faulty lives. He said, their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. Then he dealt with their fearless lives. Verse 3, now shall they say, we have no king. 
because we fear not the Lord, what then should a king do unto us? Verse 5, the inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of Beth-Avon, for the people thereof shall mourn over it, the priests thereof uh, that rejoiced on it. How many remember a day when uh, young people were respectful of adults? You remember those days? I mean, an adult would, you're walking across the street, BB, and an adult would look at him, oh, sorry, and get out of the way. 30-year-old guy, uh, man, you beat at them and they just get out of the way. You beep at a kid nowadays, look up and you're like, what dude? I want to see what I got in my pocket, you know? And I mean, there's no respect. And the Bible talked about the day when there be no fear before their eyes, no fear of God. I mean, even this generation they came out with these hats that were supposed to be cool, no fear, right there. And I mean, uh, just uh, I mean, a, a fulfillment of what God said about a fearless generation. Then of course they were false. In verse number four, and God brought these complaints out to them. They've spoken words swearing falsely in making a covenant. Thus judgment springeth up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. Now, falsehood. How many of you believe this? You can always tell when a, when a politician is lying. Hell. <laughs> when their lips are moving. And I mean, how do you realize we're living in a generation of falsehoods, amen? They look right into the camera. We're not in, uh, what's that word? Recession. And they tell us that we're not in a recession. We're not experiencing inflation. That was only because of some cereal box, cereal manufacturers, and we had to put it on the box. But this isn't inflation. No, we didn't go from two two fifty a gallon to five get five dollars a gallon uh, just like that. No, that didn't happen. So we're living in a day of falsehood, and they were false, and then they were fallow. Let's get there. Verse number twelve, and this is our text tonight. He said in verse number eleven. Ephraim is a heifer that is taught, loveth to tread out the corn. He's speaking about Israel. But I passed over upon her fair neck. I will make Ephraim, Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow. Jacob shall break his clods. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Do what? Help me. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he rain righteousness upon you. What is he saying here? He's saying that if we will do right, if we will return to God, he is speaking to a nation that is far, uh, far away from him, a nation that has embraced lying and falsehood and false doctrine and false teaching and false gods, and yet even there, God said, return to me, come back to me, come back to me, I will love you freely. I'm going to heal your backsliding. God said, if we'll just return to him, God is going to receive us and God is going to change our lives. How does it all begin? He said, first of all, sow to yourselves in righteousness. You know what God's people can start doing? Every one of us. You say, man, what can I do? How can I make a difference? I'll tell you how you can make a difference. Start doing right. Do the right thing. Say amen. Never mind what people say. Don't take a poll survey. 
Don't check which way the wind is blowing. Always tell the truth. Do the right thing. Glorify God with your life. Never mind what everybody's doing. Never mind what the multitude is doing. In fact, the Bible said, thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. If it's trending, it doesn't necessarily mean it's good. It doesn't right away uh, certify or qualify something if everybody else is doing it. Do the right thing. And so, so to yourselves in righteousness, what's going to happen? God said in Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, rather, 7 and 8, be not deceived, or chapter 6, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, what? That shall he also reap. I came out of a terrible background. I mean, awful. And my, my life was just full of sin. And when God saved me, he had to reach way down and save me out of a, a life of rock and roll and sin and drugs and all that goes with it. I, I had so much baggage. I remember coming to church for the first time after I got saved at home in my, my mom's house. I'd been going to work every day. My car was broken down. Brand new vehicle. Brand new. I mean, a cool sports car. And it broke down, and it stayed broken down for over a month. I couldn't get it fixed. The shop didn't have it. Sorry, can't get the parts, can't do this. And for a month, I had to ride to work at 7 o'clock every day with this man that I worked with who had just gotten saved. He was a fanatic. He had a big Bible in the car. I mean, he'd set it right there, a little green Chevy Nova, and he'd pick me up, beep, 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 beep. I'd get in the car, and I'd come out all hungover, about half asleep from the night before, and uh, barely could even think. Get in the car, 7 o'clock, the gospel hour with Dr. Oliver B. Green. And I had to listen to the gospel hour every single day on my way to work. And that month, he just happened to be preaching on hell. By the way, uh, Oliver Green always preached on hell. And he'd always say, Father, save, when I pulled into the gate every day, 7.30, Father, save that soul that's nearest hell today. I didn't, I mean, I hated Oliver Green. That raspy voice, that strong old-fashioned uh, preaching, sometimes they'd get away from the broadcast. Man, his tent revivals were red hot, brother, and he'd have his tent revival on. He'd be preaching about the judgment of God, and I got into a case of old-fashioned Holy Ghost conviction. I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't smoke it off, drink it off, sleep it off. You couldn't take enough drugs to get away from it. And I'd lay awake at night thinking, man, I'm going to die and go to hell. I'm sure of that. My mom had her friends praying. I came in the house one day and she had these guys from high school, Parkville High, that I went to. They had revival and God was working. They found out that my mom had gotten saved and I walked in. They were having a prayer meeting for me at her kitchen table. And I was running from God. And I remember going into my going into my pants pocket, reached in, what's this? My mother had filled my pockets with gospel tracts written by Mrs. Oliver B. Green. What does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Some of you remember those old offers, send it today, we'll send you 500 tracks. And she, uh, she got a whole box of them, put them in my pants pocket, my socks. She had them all over the house. And brother, when I got saved, I mean, they were in church, I missed them. I came in after a long night of sin and all the things that go with it. I came in in the morning. I thought, I'm going to church today. And I missed them. They had already left. Didn't know where their church was. I paced the floor like a caged animal. I said, God, I don't even know where to start. I don't know where to begin. And I got alongside of my dad's easy chair, and I looked, and there was a Bible there on the coffee table. And I opened it up, 
And it said, Come unto me, all ye that labor heavy and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and, burn, and my burden is light. And I, I asked the Lord Jesus into my life, and I, I said something like this. I know I'm a sinner, God. I don't even know where to start. But I ask you to save me. And I said, Lord, I believe. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. And at that moment, I passed from death unto life. I can't say, well, I got saved. It took me about three or four hours. That moment, I was born again. And God started working in my life. I went to church that night with my parents. I scared people to death. I had hair way over my shoulders, looked like something the cat dragged in. I told the kids my hair looked like an explosion in a mattress factory, amen? And I came walking in, and uh, I had a Bible under my arm, had a flip-top box of Marlboros in my pocket. I came in and uh, walked into church. Man, this is going to be great. Sat down. I watched moms grab their daughters, get over here, and uh, get away from him. And, uh, man, it was, I looked awful. And they started naming the books of the Bible. They said, we're, we're learning the books of the Bible. So I opened up my index in the Bible and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, got down a job and everybody looked at me. <laughs> we got to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. And uh, I thought he was an Italian, but anyway. And, <clears throat> but God changed my life. And I went to the pastor. I said, pastor, it's, it's going great. God's helped me to quit all this stuff, but all these bad things keep happening to me. Why? Everything bad keeps happening. I said, it seems like nothing's going right. And he said, Lou, let me tell you this. He said, the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, what? That shall he also, what? He said, you've been sowing a crop of sin for a long time. Now that you've gotten saved... That doesn't all go away. Some bad things are going to find you out. And what you need to do, son, is start sowing good things, righteousness, godliness, peace, joy. Quit trying to uh, get in a fight with everybody you meet and start learning what it means to be a, a peaceful man and do the right things and glorify God and quit uh, doing bad stuff. Quit cursing and start saying good things for the glory of God. And God started working in my life. And little by little, guess what happened? Good things started kicking in. God started working. Uh, the Lord started to change and restore and give me a different life. We still have battles. We all do. How many of you still battle with the old life a little bit? Once in a while, the old nature comes up and rears up and uh, just attacks you. But understand, by the grace of God, we don't have to live that way. We can do what's right. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Secondly, reap in mercy. How many of you want some mercy? How many of you need some mercy? <laughs> Let's try it that way. How many of you say, I need a lot of mercy? I was preaching, a lady hadn't been saved very long, and I said, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners whether we like it or not. And she was on the second row and said, yeah, and I'm really good at it. I said, oh, that's not a good thing to say. But we all, sinning comes naturally. Righteousness comes supernaturally. And when we yield to our new nature that God has given to us, and we start learning to live as a new creature in Jesus Christ, he said, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. I can tell you this. Our crowd, I'm an independent 
fire-breathing, Bible-believing, fundamental, King James, <laughs> Baptist guy, all the way. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm fundamental, uh, temperamental, and judgmental. Amen? I'm, I'm all that stuff. But wait a minute. Our crowd, our crowd, my crowd, is guilty of dealing with people how they look, dealing with people of where they are, and not being willing to deal with people where God can take them and seeing them as a wonderful new creation in Jesus Christ. Somebody comes to church, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to, I'm all for the uniforms at school, we have them in ours, and I'm all for, uh, you know, teaching young people how to dress and young men how to look like a young man and all that good stuff. I'm for it 100%. But in the meanwhile, what about the people that come into a church like this looking for some help and who need some mercy? What about some people who've made bad mistakes in their life and they're carrying baggage and they're carrying guilt and they're carrying heartache and hurt and all that comes along with it and the poor women who've been duped by some doctor into having a procedure and taking a young life and all the things that people do. Man, we need to be merciful to them. Do I have an amen? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall what? Obtain mercy. And he said, when we start getting right, God desires to pour mercy upon us. Showers of blessing. Uh, mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead for the mercy of God. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. He said, sow in righteousness, reap in mercy. Then he said, break up your fallow ground. Amen. Fallow ground. I studied that. That's ground that I'm, I'm not a farmer. I'm a city boy. <laughs> you know, I grew up in the city. Uh, we grew alley apples in the back in, in behind the house. Uh, those are bricks. Same end to that. And, uh, but we, uh, I don't know anything about farming and agriculture. And I uh, did a little bit of it for a garden for a lady next door. But I've gotten to be around some farmers. And I asked a man who had 3,000 acres of wheat in Sumner County, Kansas. And I said, Willard, Tell me about fallow ground. He said, oh, well, if you have a fallow field, you can't plant anything in it. The ground has become so hard. All the nutrients are gone out of that field. It's been used so many times that you have to let it lie dormant for a while. Eventually, it'll go fallow, and it can't, do, it can't grow anything because it has developed something, uh, such a hard veneer on the top that the rain can't get through. The seeds won't get through. It can't germinate. So what do you have to do with it? He said, you have to plow it up, and you have to put something way up underneath of that, uh, that soil that's called a plow pan, and put your plow pan down way up under the fallow ground. He said, sometimes it's like concrete. It'll ruin your equipment. It'll ruin your tractor. and uh, You've got to work at it. But in order to have a crop out of fallow ground, you've got to start from the beginning and get it all broken up. God uses that illustration of a heart that has heard and known the word of God that has been exposed to the truth. The only danger of a Christian school is that if young people hear and hear and hear and resist and they fight, they don't get better. They get harder and more bitter and angry and we learned about it. They will forsake God and then they'll follow after something that is unthinkable with their life and give themselves to the most atrocious things. 
Did you know that Adolf Hitler in the Lutheran Church of Germany was a champion Bible memorization child in Sunday school? Adolf Hitler, he knew the Bible, he memorized scripture. He won scripture memory contests before he became a young man. It hardened his heart rather than made him better because he did not mix it with faith and he did not believe. And so when we hide sin and cover it up and pretend and go through the motions and you know what I'm talking about. Good morning. Hello, brother. Amen. Oh, glory to God. Uh, I, was, I was behind a family. My wife and I on the way to church. And I mean, these are stellar people. They're the best. You know, really good people, good kids. And I said, hey, there's the family. And I mentioned their name. She said, oh, there they are. And I said, wait a minute. They're in a fight. <laughs> you can see them. They were going back. I said, they're mad. I said, yeah, they are. I said, hold on. Okay, let's watch. And she said, what? no, honey, get away. And I said, so we, we put the shades down in the car so they couldn't see us. I, said, I didn't want to embarrass them. And if they saw me, they would have been embarrassed. And we followed them, and we let them get ahead, and we pulled into the church parking lot, and uh, they were a few spaces down. And I said, hey, good morning, brother. How you doing, Brother Mark? He said, praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. <laughs> I said, he sure is. Jesus loves me. This I know. And uh, I mean, <laughs> preaching to church, and a lady there was just one, you know, wonderful lady every service. That was the best message I have ever heard in my life. And after every sermon, she'd say, that sermon changed my life, Brother Rossi. Now, I don't know if I have the gift of discernment. My wife says it's probably the gift of suspicion. But anyway, <laughs> something wasn't quite right. She was like, oh, praise the Lord, brother. And uh, the pastor called me a few weeks after the revival. He said, brother, I don't know what to do. I gotta help. you got to help me. I said, what happened? He said, man, you remember that guy and his wife? Yeah, he was the youth pastor and his wife. He said, well, man, they were in a giant argument in the back. And in the back seat, one of the kids hit a play and tell tape recorder and recorded the whole thing. David Gibbs calls children God's little spies. <laughs> he said, I got a hold of this tape. So... He said, I don't know what to do. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, hey, listen to this. And they were yelling at each other in the car. It was after church. It wasn't even before church. They were mad after the service. And going back and forth. And she said, we're eating at Ponderosa. He said, Shoney's, Ponderosa, Shoney's. They were yelling at each other. You always get what you want. Ponderosa, Shoney's. And they were yelling back and forth. And in the middle of the argument, he went, ow, ow, you bit me. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> hey man <laughs> bit, her right, bit him right in the arm I thought man she must have been really hungry amen <laughs> he said what should I do I said I don't know brother that's why I'm an evangelist God bless you <laughs> I'll see you I preached in their youth camp that summer about a month later there they were praise the Lord brother Rossi <laughs> same thing I, I had a muzzle in my pocket in case she had an outbreak. And I mean, uh, and, and I mean, and just praise the Lord, brother. And, uh, you know, I, I was having a hard time because I knew about this. And after the service, before the, the morning service, they knocked on my trailer door. Brother Rossi, can we talk to you? Just both of them together. I said, sure, what can I help? Please, we got to talk. They went over to the chapel. She said, I'm not what I appear to be. 
I'm nowhere near as spiritual as I pretend to be. She said, in fact, about a month ago, we had an argument in the car. And she said, I reached over and bit my husband right in the arm. I was like, oh, man. Wow. <laughs> you don't say. No. I'll be honest with you. I was looking all week trying to see if he had any bite marks. You know. <laughs> but you know what that girl did? She said, I've been a phony. She said, I've been pretending. She said, preacher, I'm not saved. Please help me. And I showed her from the Bible how she could trust Christ as her Savior. And then he chimed in. He said, you know, we're blaming her for everything. I'm not the husband I ought to be. It takes two people to fight. Say amen to that. And he said, I'm not the wonderful person I pretend to be. He said, I act one way in front of the kids. And he said, I don't doubt my salvation, but man, I need to get right with God. And brother, I'm telling you, heaven came down and crowned the mercy seat. <clears throat> Glory came down. And I mean to tell you, God came through and God poured mercy out on that girl. And God saved her and saved him. And revival broke out among the teens, among the church. It was an amazing thing. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Let's seek the face of God. And he said, how long till he come and rain righteousness upon you? He didn't say, let's seek him for a, a week, a month, two months. He didn't give us a time. You see, as bad as a nation becomes, that's how much we need to reverse that with prayer and seeking and repentance from our lives, not out there, in here, and to seek the Lord while he may be found and to call upon him and, and beg God to, to break these generational curses that are falling on children and these incredible strongholds the kids are involved in. And by the grace of God, listen, we have teenagers today, uh, young kids, every year without fail. We have a Christian school, at least one, sometimes two or three. They come in, uh, the principal will come in or one of their parents will come in. My daughter's cutting herself. I don't know why she's cutting herself. And every time, without fail, I said, young lady, what makes you cut yourself without fail? I don't know. I just do it. My daughter has an eating disorder, mostly girls, and I don't know why that is. I guess because maybe they're changing and their emotions are affecting them in a great way. Normally, it's girls, but young ladies, uh, young Kids that ought to be thinking about what they're doing tomorrow and playing Barbie dolls. And even you say, girls, yeah, 13, 14 years old. They keep a little stash uh, just for a rainy day here and there, play some dolls or whatever. But, I mean, they ought to be thinking about being mothers and, and keeping house and just being uh, girls and loving their mom. And they're cutting themselves and have eating disorders because they're so unhappy about the way they look. You understand? That's demonic. That is not of God. The Bible said, The key, the thief cometh not for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come 
that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And as we pray and seek the Lord and call upon God and seek his holy name and say, God, we repent where we failed you. We get our hearts broken before God. Lord, we beg and plead for mercy. It's amazing what God will do. Turn over to chapter 14. I'm almost done. Chapter 14. Appreciate your pastor being gracious with me about time. One of the ladies told me I preached till 1230 last night. Huh? I said, yeah, I turned it on late. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she said, I, whew, I didn't know it was that bad. <laughs> Chapter 14. Verse 1, Israel return unto the Lord thy God. This is what happens. This is what happens when a nation returns to God. Take with you words. Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously so will we render the calves of our lips. He said in verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. That's a picture of prosperity, uh, having the dew on the crops. I'll be as a dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be as the olive tree, his smell as Lebanon. I'll tell you what the most beautiful thing in the world is. It's not someone or uh, not a man or a woman who just got a new suit of clothes and just had a makeover and had everything done under the sun. If you can do all that, God bless you, and we ought to look as nice as we can. But the most beautiful thing in the world is someone that is freshly filled with the Spirit of God and cleansed and washed and full of Christ. It doesn't matter how you look on the inside or out on the outside, rather. That radiates out of someone's life. That's the beauty of the Lord. Say amen. You can't buy that. At the, at the apartment store. You can't buy that at Belts. You can't purchase that. It's something that only God can do for each one of us tonight. And he said, they that dwell under his shadow, living in the presence of God. I talked to the pastor and Brother Bybee today. We had a good time. But... I mean, I, we left, and I was grieved. I told a couple of stories, just, you know, having fun about a couple of tough guys along the way. You run into some crazy characters in churches. Do I have an amen to that? And that's not what we need to be talking about. We don't need to be talking about ruffians in church that threaten to beat up the pastor and all that kind of stuff. And I've had a few of them, and I'm not, I'm not that gracious about it. I'm not saying, okay, brother, God bless you. Here I am, beat me. I don't feel like that, man. So, so, but that doesn't need to be our conversation. It grieves the Holy Spirit. You know what he wants us to talk about? How good God is. And to live in his presence. And when we live in the presence of God, under his incredible shadow, how many you realize that our God overshadows us with his goodness, his grace, his love, yes, his mercy, and we can't live our lives thinking about what victims we are and how bad we've had it. Listen, we could all compare his stories, and man, I probably got, I probably got one better than most of you. I mean, we've all been hurt, same and that. It's incredible to think about what happens to people in church. Well, I'm not coming anymore. I got hurt down there. I had a lady tell me, they broke my family heirloom dish. 
at a covered dish supper. I mean, Pastor, the first thing I thought was, why did you ever bring anything of value to a Baptist church? <laughs> and she said, <laughs> she said, I believe, I believe, you know, I believe this woman had her kid come over and knock it off the table on purpose because she doesn't like me. I said, wow, that's bad. And I said, you know, if you bring something valuable to Baptist church, it's going to get broken or stolen, either one. Baptists are thieves, say amen. I made them a dinner, and they never gave me my dish back. You want to get those disposable dishes and say, bye-bye, I'll never see you again. This is going to a member of a Baptist church. You did a nice thing, and now you're better about it. Amen? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I walked in, and they wouldn't even speak to me. They all turned their backs. They walked away. You didn't even know they were planning up a surprise party for you. <laughs> they were talking about what to get you for your birthday. They were talking about how wonderful you were. But we think about how bad everything is. Here's what he said. They that dwell under his shadow. They that live under his shadow. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive. That means to get life again. They shall revive as the corn, grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. We're beginning a campaign, and this fall, my wife and I will be going back on the road pretty much full time in a few months. We're trying to step out of our pastorate. We're voting on a new man, I pray, and in a few weeks, and I pray that he'll get the vote. If he won't, then God will raise somebody up. But I'll be stepping out of that, go back into evangelism and revival ministry. And we're launching a campaign. It's called the 856 Revival. Psalm 85, verse 6 says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? And all I'm going to ask people to do is if they can they give eight minutes and 56 seconds a day to pray for revival. They could do that at 8.56 in the morning. They could do that at 8.56 in the evening. They could do it any other time of the day. But to give eight or nine minutes of their life to read their Bible, to pray, to seek the Lord for this generation, to get a list of some of the kids in school and pray the power of God upon them, to pray for the kids in our youth group and to pray for the moms and dads that are trying to raise those kids and struggling with life and trying to make ends meet, to pray for revival and to pray for the power of God. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.